You're listening. You're listening. You're listening. You're listening to Music Biz 101 and more. If you want to learn about the music industry and you don't know where to go, tune in to WP88.7. Professor David Kirk Philp with Dr. Esteban Marconi. He actually will be here in a moment, but I'm going to do the intro without him for a moment because we need to get it done with. So you're listening to Music Biz 101 and more on Brave New Radio. We appreciate you enjoying us today. We're going to have a guest, Michael Kelly, Executive VP Global Touring with the Atomic Music Group. But first, we're going to give thanks. We want to give thanks to the folks at Van Dyne Bruno, Aiken White Hat Management. With artists like Dave Matthews, Three Doors Down, St. Vincent, Kiss, Zach Brown, and Tima Likes Music. There's only one place to go for your band's management. You want to go to vb-cpa.com when you're ready. And we want to give thanks to Christine. Oi! They, a wealth manager at the Forefront Group. Christine has helped people from all over the world manage their investments, plan out for their retirement when you're thinking of building a bridge to your financial future. You want to think of the Forefront Group and you want to go to Christine at forefront.com. In Marconi's terms, you want to leave the last oi off for savings. Managing your band, seventh edition is out, has been out. You're going to love it. You should pick it up. Go to Amazon. Go to wherever books are sold. Wherever books are stolen, go there. Also, once again, for the fifth time, Billboard Magazine has ranked the music business program at William Patterson University as one of the best in the history of music business programs. And it act, is actually one of the first ever. And when Dr. Esteban Marconi joins us shortly, he is the guy who really pretty much around the country started this whole music business at college thing. So appreciate that. This is your second time on the show. Yeah. And the first time you had your own independent agency. And yeah. since then yeah. you've gone to the Atomic Music Group and you're actually a big wig there. You have like a big, like <laughs> massive title you're like executive <laughs> VP of global touring. So yeah, um, we really don't have the right to talk to you. Like you have security guards and you make so much money and live in a big glass tower. <laughs> it's so cool. But t- tell us about the the transition from your own, own agency to Atomic Music Group, which has been yeah. another indie agency, which has been around for more than 20 years. But tell us about that and uh, what you're doing is in this new role. Yeah. So I started my own company back in, uh, back in I guess, 1990, 91. Uh, working with a lot of um, a lot of smaller touring bands and everything. And like I said, I was one of the first artists I ever worked with back then was Green Day. That just kind of they were at the beginning of their career and kind of exploding and uh, and ended up working with them for, you know, for a while. And then also worked with a lot of bands like them out of the Bay Area for for many, many years um, under my own agency. And then in, I guess, 97, I moved over to a company called Absolute Artists. That was another 
independent agency, but it was a large independent agency that represented artists like uh, Cake, Train, Sublime, uh, Ricky Lee Jones, George Clinton and Parliament Funkadelic, Fastball, all of these artists in their prime, you know. Um, and we ended up selling that company to the agency group in 2001. And I left and started running my own agency again. Um, did that for several years, booking a lot of uh, a lot of artists in the rock and punk and alternative world uh, for for many many years, um, and also owned several um, live music venues in Houston at that time. Um, and then got out of the business for a few years doing real estate things like that. Got back into the business in 2018 um, with my own thing again um, and then ended up moving over to Atomic Music Group um, about a year and a half ago um, with, uh, with a guy named Scott Weiss who owns that company. We're an agency of about 28 agents across six offices in the US and Canada. Um, most of us work out of out of different remote offices, but you know we have offices in LA and Nashville and Chicago, um, Michigan, Texas, um, and New York, and then in Toronto as well. Um, and I've been here for about a year and a half, almost two years, um, and ended up being promoted to partner in the company as well as now executive vice or executive vice president of the company. And and it's uh, for global touring, correct? Yes. Yeah. So so yes. talk so we, about we do book we book every region pretty much except for Europe, which we do a little bit, but not much. Um, we do the U.S., Canada, Japan, Australia, South America, um, Mexico, um, other markets like that. Other, just other than other than Europe, you know. And there are some agents in our company that actually do Europe, but very little. So we like to we like to leave that to the Europeans. I mean, that landscape in Europe is changing constantly. And so it's a lot um, it's a lot better for us, at, at least just to leave it to them. OK, and I, I should tell people to listen to our first interview because I was listening to it earlier and um, we actually had a really good discussion about uh, booking Japan and Australia and, and those regions. And yeah. um, and it, there's not as much to book there compared to booking Europe, which is. Right. Yeah, it's very, very limited. I mean, Australia, you know, if you can squeeze 10 dates out of Australia, you're doing great. Japan, if you can squeeze six to seven out of, out of Japan, you're doing great. You know, um, I mean, there are obviously more markets, but realistically, you know, for, for a U.S. artist touring over there, you're not going to get a whole lot more than that. Right, right. Okay. Um, tell us what are some of the differences that, and before we get into, into the packs, um, with your elevated role by becoming a partner, what, what does that mean for somebody listening? I mean, it sounds cool, but does it mean anything beyond maybe more money? No, it just, it just means that I kind of oversee a lot of the operations within the company, as well as, you know, I'm here to kind of mentor new agents um, or any new agents or, or, you know, or veteran agents. Um, just people who, you know, I'm, I'm one of a team of about, in the leadership committee here that um, kind of oversee the operations, oversee the tours and just kind of keep a, um, you know, keep a close eye on, on anything that may come up, any issues or, or anybody who needs help with anything or 
anybody who needs, you know, introductions, you know, any, any new younger agents who need introductions to, you know, to buyers that, you know, they can't seem to get a hold of or haven't worked with in the past, don't have relationships. We're here to help them with their relationship building process as well. Okay. What would you say is the best part? I mean, because you were an agent, then you got out and then you came back in. So something pulled you back in. So what what gravitates you? What attracts you to be an agent? Yeah, so <laughs> I actually was having this conversation with somebody at, at AIBA about a year and a half ago when I got back or more than that, when I got back in about two and a half years ago when I got back into the business, you know, he just said, he goes, Mike, you, uh, um, you escaped, <laughs> you got out. Why'd you come back? And I said, well, you know, I said, every one of us in this business who I've ever met, we're all lifers. And it really is. That's kind of, it's kind of what it is for us. And, you know, I know very few people who have gotten out of the music business or left the music business who didn't at least somehow stay in it peripherally or at, you know, or kind of keep a close eye on it, but very few people who didn't actually come back into the business because, you know, we're lucky to be able to do this for a living. I mean, <laughs> I can't think of anything, you know, I mean, other than performing and playing, you know, I can't think of anything that's, you know, a better, a better job and better career to have, you know, that I would rather do, at least for my personality. So you also owned venues though. So why, why being an eight? And I've talked to students at William Patterson about this as well. Um, besides just whatever the difference is between being a promoter and an agent, but why, are you more attracted to being an agent than being a promoter or being a tour manager or, you know, you, cause you like the live obviously. Yeah. Um, you know, I like to, I like being behind the scenes a lot more, um, you know, and, and running a venue, owning a venue also, you know, and I know a lot of buyers and venue owners and promoters are will agree. I mean, it's kind of a money pit. It's really difficult. You could throw money after, you know, after good for, for bad for years. And, you know, you'll have a couple really great shows. Then you'll have a couple really bad shows then a couple great shows and a couple bad shows. And it just seems like it's really hard to continue to get ahead, you know, and then with all the, you know, all the different costs involved, it's a lot more difficult to really make a good living as a, as a venue owner, as a talent buyer. Um, I mean, there are a lot who do, you know, but it just really wasn't for me, I think. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. The good thing is, I, I would say from an agent's perspective, is you understand, you know, you had your feet in the shoes of the promoter, right. you yeah. know, so I think. Yeah. Makes- yeah. So I have been on both sides of the fences and I can understand what, you know, from a firsthand perspective, what a lot of the buyers that I work with on a day-to-day basis are going through. And, um, and you know, and, and. I can understand their reasoning for certain decisions that they make and and offers that they make to our clients and things like that, that, you know, somebody who hasn't been on that side of the fence can really understand, you know, um, but yeah, it's, it's more just kind of that firsthand knowledge, you know, of having done that for several years, you know, and having had to put my own money up on the line and, and my family's money up on the line to be able to sometimes pay for an artist that, you know, that we probably should not have ever booked to begin with. Right. So that makes a happy marriage right there. <laughs> <laughs> he laughs. Um, music, uh, is the agency run uh, like an old structure in terms of the agents have various territories uh, and that there are sort of the, uh, the agent for that territory? 
we we actually don't run a territorial system. Um, we are, like I said, we're about 26 to 28 agents, almost 300 artists that we work with. Every agent handles their own artist per, you know, for whatever territories they cover, meaning, you know, whatever countries that they cover, if it's the U.S. and Canada, whatever. We don't break up anything into territories. We do share a lot. We do... Um, you know, if, if um, we've got a great system set up where if, you know, if, if I get an offer for one of my artists that I can't pay, um, we have a system set up that I can pass that along to, you know, another artist within our company or to their agent and everything. So they can take advantage of, you know, of that situation, whether it's a festival or a fair or a casino or a club or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. um, so we do share a whole lot, but no, we just, we really kind of do everything, you know, just with our own artists that we represent, and, you know, um, a lot of our agents represent, you know, five to 10 artists. There's a few of us that represent 25 to 30. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, not, not many um, that, you know, most of, I, I would say the average for an agent to represent at our company at least is 12 to 13 artists. Mm -hmm. um, and most of them strictly handle the U.S. and in Canada. Is it considered a boutique agency or is it considered a, uh, a larger agency? In other words, do you have other areas like um, writers and authors and, and so on, or is it strictly music? Right. We, we are strictly music and, and, and comedy as well. I do a lot of comedy. Uh -huh. um, you know, um, I, out of my 23 artists that I work with, I think eight of them are comedians. And so we do a lot of, a lot of comedy in the clubs as well as a lot of the theaters and packs and things like that. Um, but for the most part, most of it is that then, you know, I delve a little bit into the influencer world um, into representing, you know, social media influencers and things yeah. like that. But, um, but yeah, most of, well, I say most, all of our other agents at the company pretty much strictly represent only music. Wow. Um, you know, it's something that we've, often talked about trying to branch out into other other markets like branding and and things like that we just haven't really gotten into mm -hmm, mm -hmm. now it, um this has been fascinating me for a while influencers what do you try to just hook them up with brands or what how does that work yeah you try to find the right the right brands for them the right opportunities for them mm -hmm. um you know a lot of it is incoming when you're representing influencers who have, you know, five to 50 million followers on social media, mm -hmm. you know, a lot of that is incoming um, where you're getting offers to, you know, to uh, for them to endorse a product or endorse a brand or, or mm -hmm. whatever it is, you know, somebody wanting them to do a 30 second video for, you know, for their new product or company that they're launching. And right. a lot of it is really just kind of weeding out the bad, you know, weeding out the stuff that doesn't fit brand. You know, um, you've got a lot of, you know, a lot of uh, influencers who have a very specific brand of their own and they are a brand, you know, and so, and, you know, if somebody, Kim Kardashian is not going to go on and endorse a tire company. You know, um, it's that kind of thing. And so you do get a lot of requests that are just really wrong for the artist and um, or for the influencer. And so a lot of that is really just I probably turn down 20 for every one that we actually look at realistically. 
Yeah. Mm. And how's the fee structure for those? Um, do they work on a flat fee or do they work on a percentage of more hits or, you know? For the, for the influencer themselves? Yes. A lot of times it's a flat deal. Um, you know, a lot of times they'll come asking you to do some sort of a profit share or some sort of a, a revenue share kind of kind of model. Um, depending on the company, you know, if it's a new startup, you really don't want to do that. I mean, nobody wants to take that risk, you know, and that's, I would say 90% of the endorsement opportunities that we get come from startups, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so for the most part, it's it's a flat fee that, you know, it can range anywhere from, you know, a couple hundred to a couple hundred thousand, right. you know, for a 30 second video, uh-huh. you know, just depending on how many followers the influencer has, things like that. But, you know, rarely do we even consider the, you know, the, um, the revenue share model um, for those kind of things. I mean, it, it does happen, but not, not at this level. Um, you know, when you're, when you're dealing with the, the much larger companies that are launching a product that's going to be, that you just know is going to be huge, you know, then that's different. Mm-hmm. You know, then, you know, then you're better working on a back end, you know, sometimes. So how many followers does an influencer have need before an agency might get interested? At least a few million. I mean, you know, it's, I mean, and that's across socials, you know, um, depending on, depending on the type of influencer, you know, who they are, what they're doing, you know, I've got clients who have, you know, 2 million followers. I have clients who have 15 million followers, Mm -hmm. you know, um, and they both get the, they both get opportunities, you know, um, that are worthwhile, but, um, they're not the same opportunities, obviously. So, you know, I think every agent who's looking into getting into that market is going to, is going to look at, you know, look at those things differently and decide Hey, if I'm going to try to get my feet wet in this market, I'll represent somebody who's only got a couple million followers, you know, or, or several hundred thousand followers, you know, um, Mm -hmm. I personally, you know, kind of set that at about between five to 10 million is, is what I like to see, you know, Mm -hmm. as, as a starting point. In general, what new areas are opening up for the musician that might not have happened? We were talking, I forget with whom, a few weeks ago, and we were mentioning, uh, oh, we were talking about, um, what was his name that did um, Casinos, Dave? Oh, from uh, Wasserman. Yeah. Kevin Custrap. Right. And we were talking about new and different places to place artists. Mm And we were coming up with obviously the casino being one. And I was talking a little bit about that. I've uh, seen uh, performances at racetracks, uh, not necessarily a state fair atmosphere, but a racetrack that's having their normal uh, Saturday. And then the um, performer plays during it, but outside in another area. What do you see any, uh, or what, what's interesting, what is interest, interest, what is interesting you now? What interest do you have now in, in broadening? Um, you know, depending on the size of the artist, there's a lot of really great opportunities that are, that are kind of coming in out there. I mean, if it's a smaller artist, you know, country clubs are a really great source of revenue for one of my artists that I work with mm-hmm. who makes his living. Perform- I mean, he's a, an all original music artist, um, but he only plays out touring 
you know, maybe one week a month at the most, but he spends the other time playing at country clubs where, you know, where he makes, you know, a couple thousand dollars a night playing shows at a, at some local country club in the area and gets a lot of business out of those. Same thing with wineries, um, you know, in these, in vineyards that have these, you know, that have these uh, Friday, Saturday and Sunday tours that come through. A lot of them are liking to look, to book, um, you know, to book artists to kind of, you know, to kind of be background music, I guess, but that's, that's kind of the downside of it, I guess. But if you, if you don't mind it, you're that type of artist, then, you know, that it can be great for you. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, we were talking about, you know, the World Series earlier. Um, You know, we're here, well, the last, when I was here in Houston, the last couple of nights, you know, there were bands playing in the parking lot that were hired by local companies to play at all the different entrances to the World Series. And that happens at, all the games, not just the World Series. I mean, it happens right. at, you know, right. a lot of the football games that I've gone to and stuff like that. There will be a band shell set up outside or a, a temporary stage set up outside. Bands are playing there, mm-hmm. and you know, um, you know, a lot of those kind of things. I mean, art openings. You know, if you're really kind of looking to get, you know, non-traditional, you know, there's there's a lot of great opportunities. Not to mention the way the festival world has just blown up in the U.S. I mean, yeah. you know, it's. Um, there are so many festivals you can't keep up with them now. I mean, there's a new one launching every day, mm-hmm. you know, and um, so, but yeah, I mean, and then, you know, obviously for the right artists, you know, and this isn't for everyone, but for the right artist, you know, there's the, the performing arts center world, you know, that's um, that a lot of artists can get into um, without being represented even you know i mean they they obviously work with agents and work with with managers people like that but you know there's a lot of there's a lot of money to be made in the performing arts world um for for the right artists who you know who uh who can who can fit in that you know that uh scenario yeah actually sure i was just watching the other night uh fundraising for some place must have been a pbs or whatever with chris bodie and uh, he was with the Dallas Symphony, and um, he does. He makes that's what he does. I mean, he makes his money playing those types of rooms. He doesn't play arenas and and so on. But he's been doing it for so long. Obviously, he's um, he's on the lips of anybody in that in the performing arts area that wants to be guaranteed that they're going to get a house, because many times the well, most of the times the pop series pays the freight for many of these um, secondary and uh, cities, not counting the big Boston, New York, and Philadelphia and so on. Yeah. So yeah. Symphony shows are, symphony shows are great for, for the right established artists. Yeah. I mean, it's a good, a good way to change things up and to do things differently, you know? Um, but yeah, I mean, you got to pretty much be a pretty, pretty well-established artist to get out there in front of the symphonies. Um but you know it's it's uh it's a good break from the norm for them you know and it, it provides something special for their their uh their fans what about uh tribute bands do you have any on your roster we have a lot <laughs> um ah. we've probably got well out of out of about 300 we probably have 20 tribute artists wow and um you know a lot of them are different though a lot of them are not your typical tribute bands um, they are, um, well, a good example is one of them, one of them that we have is Metalachi, which is a, you know, a 
mariachi band doing heavy metal songs. Ah. Now, um, we have the Amish Outlaws, which are a you know from up there, from up your way. They're they're a cover band who all overall you know dressed like dressed like the Amish and and do kind of very you know yeah. traditional type covers of of stuff like that. We've got you know Zepparella, you know, who is an amazing all female Zeppelin tribute band. Um, but mm-hmm. it's it's that kind of thing. So it's not really we don't have a lot of the you know, the, the tribute bands that are just really specifically paying, for, you know, that are just four guys in, in wigs and costumes paying tribute to their favorite, you know, to Motley Crue or, or you know, Led Zeppelin or whatever, whoever it is. Right. You know, it's, they kind of have to be something a little bit different, you know. Um, well, well, you have that group Full House or you have this 90s Ultimate Dance Party on your yeah. personal roster. What is right. that? There, it's exactly what it sounds like. It's it's a '90s dance party, and it's a it's a band that plays almost exclusively, you know, '90s pop and you know '90s dance music and stuff like that. It's it's just a it's a big party. It's a you know more than it's not really a tribute to anything, any one thing, other than the spirit of '90s pop is I guess what it is. You know, mm-hmm. and it's you know it's it's kind of a girl's night out really if you look at the audiences and some of the videos that watch it it's uh you know it's a it's a, a big party night um so it's, it's kind of different than the 80s tribute bands and the 80s party bands in that it's really kind of celebrating you know a lot of the stuff that you know i'm i'm 51 so <laughs> celebrating a lot of the stuff that people in my my age yeah, kind of grew right. up with you know and um yeah well well let's talk about um the performing arts centers um, explain first of all from your perspective, because some people listening don't really know at all about how they work, how they program, how they're structured, how they pay. So why don't you give us that sort of um lowdown on that, how that works? Right. Yeah. So performing arts centers, you typically have have one at least or, or not or more in almost every market in the US. Um, a lot of them are run by either the municipality, the local city or county, or local um arts organizations um you know a lot of them are funded through grants through you know through um through their subscribers through local you know local families things like that Mm -hmm. um and while while they do rely somewhat on ticket sales um a lot of them are coming to their series or their season with a budget that is set is set in stone and it's based on whatever they raised in the previous year's fundraising time period um, or whatever they still have from grants, whatever they have from, you know, from the city or county or, or local organizations or their sponsors, um, you know, they book about 18 months out on average. Um, So it's not the kind of places that, you know, you're looking to go into on a hard ticket, say you can go in there and say, Hey, I can sell 500 tickets and, in your 500 seat theater, you know, hard tickets, because, you know, two months from now, they're not even going to bother with you because, you know, their season is booked. And most of them have seasons that run spring and fall only. Um, Typical season for a, you know, average PAC is probably six to 10 shows each, um, each season. So in the spring, six to 10 in the fall, there are some that are only three three you know three to four at the most Mm. um but um but yeah they can 
you know, they, they sell subscriptions about a year in advance to their upcoming season. So right now, you know, we're in the 22-23 season for them, for most of the PACs. They are fall spring, not spring fall like you would think it would be. So they their seasons run fall spring. And so we're in 22-23. By right now, they're starting to announce their 23-24 season. So the right. spring of 23, fall of 24. And so they are all booking right now. And a lot of that booking process ends um, in New York at APAP. Um, at the conference there in New York, um, which is kind of like the last, uh, the last hurrah for trying to get into those PACs that might still have some holes open and things like that. For and so everybody attends. Uh, the majority of performing arts presenters and artists attend this uh, this conference. Among you know, there's a lot of conferences like it all over the country all year long. I'm actually going to one next week in North Carolina, which is the North Carolina Presenters Conference. Um, and, uh, but yeah, and it's, it's a whole lot of theaters and performing arts presenters from all over the Carolinas, Georgia, Florida, Virginia, Tennessee, that area. And then, but you have them in almost every state, you know, has their own small, uh, presenters, uh, organization, um, where, where they have little conferences and things like that, that bands can come and perform at and audition at really, um, and, uh, you know, we'll, you know, agencies will have their band showcase at them, you know, and, um, and a lot of times after that, you know, the, the performers get together and block book and right, um, right. the same way that colleges do. Right. And so, and a lot of the, a lot of the, a lot of the PACs are also colleges too. So. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Explain block booking. What, what does that mean? Block booking is, you know, if, if you have an artist or, or you are an artist that, you know, you're looking to go into a specific region, you know, say the Midwest or, or say the Southeast for the sake of this, you know, this is the the North or the North Carolina Presenters Conference I'm going to be at next week. Um, you've got presenters from across the Carolinas, Georgia, Virginia and Florida that all get together and artists will come and um, showcase at that. Um those presenters then afterwards get together and decide who they would like to book that they saw showcasing. And, you know, if the artist fee is, you know, just throwing out a number, you'll say the artist fee is maybe $10,000 for a one-off show, right? Well, you'll have several that'll get together and say, hey, we all three of us, whatever, would like to book you, this artist, but, you know, you're outside of our budget but we're going to bring you three shows for say 8,000 a piece, mm -hmm. you know? And so that's, I mean, that's the block booking in a nutshell, really, I guess. Um, but you end up getting, you know, if you, if you do it right, you know, you end up getting several good dates out of it. I mean, that, at, uh, at APAP in 2019, um, I think I walked away with about 45 to 50 dates for my artists. Mm. Um, and they so, did they do radius clauses with us? They do some, yeah. And so a lot of times when they're block booking too, they, you know, they are cognizant of each other's radius clauses. So, you know, somebody in Charlotte is probably not going to book, you know, an artist that, you know, with another presenter from Winston-Salem, North Carolina, or, or somebody from Atlanta is not going to book an artist with a presenter from Athens, you know. Mm -hmm. So they're going to be, you know, they're going to try to make sure that they have a, a certain exclusivity 
within normally, you know, the average is about a 90 mile, 90 day radius. Right. Right. But what about also when you book a show at a performing arts center, does the performing arts center also have a radius clause for that artist and say, let's say it's Athens, Georgia, you can't do 50 miles radius for 30 days before 30 days after that's what a radius clause is, you know, something like that. Um, are they doing that in addition to radiusing each other off? Yes. Yes. So, so that's the thing is, like I said, they're radiusing each other, kind of like you said, but, but they're also, you know, going to the artist and saying, look, we prefer that you not perform in, you know, within 90 days, 90 miles. And I say 90, 90 is probably the average out there for these types of, uh, these types of groups. And a lot of times when you're talking PACs, it's not even 90 days. It's this season, you know, um, whatever it is, they don't want you coming back within 90 miles of them within the current season, you know, whether it's the fall or spring or whatever it is, mm. you know, and then a lot of times too, those performing arts centers will not book an artist back a year later. You know, they like to put a couple yeah. years between right. You know, when they'll book an artist, there's a few artists out there that do get booked on a regular basis by theaters um, and performing arts centers regularly because they have established themselves to the point where they can do that. Yeah. You know, um, you know, I have one one artist, uh, a country artist named John Barry, who um, goes and plays the same 50 theaters every year and uh, for his Christmas tour or, or 25 to 50 theaters every single year for that special tour because that's a tour that always sells out every year and it's it's always you know been doing the same thing for 25 years but throughout the year he couldn't go say in march or april and perform at you know some of these performing arts centers and then come back the following march or april because it's different it's you know his christmas thing is a special thing but you know a lot of times they say hey we want to put two years between you know, when we're going to have you back. Um, it does make it a little bit difficult on, on routing and on keeping your artists busy sometimes, but, you know, that's the good thing about secondary and tertiary markets is, you know, you don't have to be doing the same 50 markets across the country. There's a whole lot of land between them. Mm -hmm. And, and most, almost every small city in the country has got some sort of a historical theater or something like that that these artists can perform in right um we have um you know, we're the most densely populated state of course but we have not only the universities such as montclair state and william patterson which are right here 10 miles apart but then we have a Ber bergen performing arts center we have the west no east orange performing arts center we have the mayo center in morristown on, on and on that these uh, towns do then most of them are nonprofits mm -hmm. that uh, you know I'm sure that's the that's no, the norm is that these performers are nonprofits so that they can get as many grants as they possibly can get but we're right here not even thinking about New York City or you know we got NJ pack which is huge in Newark which nobody ever thought that would Developed because nobody would go to Newark. And uh, at that time, Christy Whitman in the 90s, she had a belief that they would, and it has exploded. I mean, oh. there's so many times I go to Newark instead of going to Lincoln Center, just not mm -hmm. worth the hassle. It was the same artist 
basically will come through. Uh, so it's, it's regional as well as it has to do with the actual cities uh, like a Syracuse or, or an Albany or, or whatever. But true, we've become very much, I think it's the, because of the people growing up on rock and roll instead of growing up on big band music and so on and so forth. But that because of that, this has become a uh, extremely lucrative area for, for artists as long as the, uh, as long as, as you said, they are not booked either out of their league or, or, or just does, shouldn't work and it doesn't work. Yeah, I, I mentioned the, uh, the Bergen, I love the Bergen Pack, one of, one of my favorites out there. Um, but yeah, you are up there, at, at least in the Northeast, you're in an area where, I mean, there's a pack for every 20 miles. And I mean, or a great theater everywhere. There's so many up there that yeah. you can play. And uh, in, it's, it's, it's such a great area. And then you, you kind of start going west from there and they kind of start spreading out a lot more. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, and then there's the same thing in the south, the south and southeast. They're everywhere, you know. Right. Um, and and I, I do a lot in a lot of the tertiary markets that you know that nobody's ever heard of because the greatest thing about those is your artist is the only game in town at That's those right. places there's literally nothing else to do yeah. you know some of the biggest shows that some of my artists have are in places you've probably never heard of like Tacoa, georgia or tifton georgia or you know decatur alabama or yeah. you know henderson tennessee uh these places that you know, they're, they're outside of a major metropolis, but they kind of are in their own world. And the only entertainment that the people who live in that right. town has is whatever happens at that theater yeah. or the local Sonic drive-thru. Right. So, um, yeah. And are you doing well with, with the comedians? Doing great. Yeah. I mean, most of, most of the comedians that I work with, we, we do strictly theaters. Um, I do some comedy clubs, but um a lot of the comedians that I specifically work with are, are the, the social media comedians who, you know, we can put up a, a couple post, posts on Facebook or, or TikTok and sell the show out with, you know, with that, because it's just so quick and easy. Mm -hmm. um, you know, they'll go and do the clubs when they want to work out new material, things yeah. like that. They'll go, you know, and play the clubs then. Um, but then, you know, then I also have other comedians that really do like to play the clubs. And, you know, I'm not, there's nothing wrong with the clubs at all. It's just for my specific roster, we do almost all theaters, you know, and um, all, all over the country. And, uh, and it's great. And it's, uh, you know, I learned a lot of respect for the comedy world. And I've only been working in comedy for the last year and a half, I guess. And I kind of fell into it uh, on accident and, uh, you know, while working with only music artists, but you know, I learned a whole lot of respect for comedians in that they have to go out there if they're headlining for 60 minutes. Yeah. And they can't screw up. They can't miss a beat. They can't take a breath. I mean, they yeah. literally have to, their job is to keep people laughing from minute one to minute 60 nonstop, or the crowd can turn on them. Yeah. And you know, it's, there's a real art to it. And a lot of people say, well, they go, they just go up there and tell jokes, you know, after hanging around with some of these comedians for a while, you really learn the art to the delivery and to what they're doing and, and how they're, their timing and mm -hmm. how they do it and everything. And, 
you know, honestly, if you're a band, you can go up there, you can break a string, you can mess up, you can, you know, hit the wrong chord. Nobody's going to notice. Right. You know, but if you're a comedian and you forget what you're going to say for three seconds. Yeah. You know, 30, 30, 40 years ago, the music audience and the comedy audience were separate. Um, I actually played, I remember playing a club in big club, whatever it was in Boston in the seventies. And uh, we opened up for Dick Gregory, who was a big, one of the, you know, uh, forerunners of uh, the comics today. And uh, the, the club owner was, was screaming at us because we were the opening act because nobody was um, interested in us. But as soon as Dick Gregory came out, of course they were, it was it. So it, I know it took a while for comedy, comedy audiences and music audiences to merge. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah. Now they're, now they're playing a lot of the same venues, you know, and, and, uh, yeah. you know, back to the, back to the PACs, you know, most of the PACs, if not, if not all of them really like to put, I don't want to say all, but most of them like to put one, at least one comedy show in their season. Mm-hmm. You know? mm-hmm. And so, you know, um, I work with about a third of the artists that I represent are are comedians. Um, But I find a lot of crossover there between them. And, uh, and so that's kind of how I can do that um, is I'm dealing with a lot of the same buyers when it comes to, you know, to the PACs. And then, you know, I've also done in a lot of cases, I've gone in and four walled a a theater um, where I have a comedian who I know can sell out the venue with a, couple social media posts or something like that um and it's a market where the theater the only thing they have there is a theater and it's a rental only venue mm-hmm. um i'll go in and rent out the theater and mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. produce and promote the show myself yeah 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 is it still mostly uh male comedians mm, no it's a good it's a good mix it well, is yeah yeah i i work with uh do a lot of uh, a lot of shows for this one comedian named uh, named Heather Land, who's mm-hmm. just incredible, incredibly funny, and every one of her shows are ninety nine point five percent women that come mm-hmm. to them, and it's just a big women's night out show. Right. Um, last show I was actually at with her in in uh in Georgia was, um, I think it was like six hundred and something, six hundred and twenty something women and nine men. We actually counted yeah. that. Well, let's get back to the packs. Um, Because I know one thing you want to talk about was getting how do artists break into that world? What type of artists play and how do they break in? Can they do it without an agent or do they need the agent? Yeah, so it's it's one market where I mean, outside of the really small club world, it's one market where the right artists can get into without really knowing everybody and without, you know, really, you know, having, without having an agent or without having a manager or whatever. Um, I see it all the time. And, you know, kind of going back to what we were talking about, about the conferences, there are, there are these conferences like, you know, like the one next week, the NCPC, there's also Arts Midwest, Western Arts Alliance, APAP, um, the Plains and Iowa Presenters Network, um, Ohio Area Presenters Network. There's a lot of these networks out there like that that have their own conferences or, or their own meetings where artists come and showcase for anywhere from 20 to 150 presenters 
um, at these things. And, you know, they can, yeah, they have to pay a fee to get into these things. Right. But if they're, if they're right for what the presenters are looking for, for their seasons, um, they can do really well with it. I know quite a few artists actually who go to a lot of these, um, these conferences who aren't represented have no intention of ever being represented mm. um, are approached by agents all the time and would rather do it themselves because they've found that niche where they can go in and they can fill out their year just by performing at these conferences. They can book themselves. And these are, you know, these are artists who in a regular hard ticket situation may not sell a single ticket. You know, mm -hmm. um, they're very specialty artists. Um, they may be completely unknown, but they put on an amazing show, right? And these artists, it, or or they're very likable. I mean, they're they're very. That's uh, what I'm looking for. Um, accessible to um, you know to family type uh, audiences, um, family oriented audiences, or whatever. The artists that do the best at these things are typically you know traditional artists, world music artists, bluegrass artists, folk, blues a lot of tributes there are a lot of performing arts centers that only book tribute bands um which is really kind of odd to me but it's something that happens i mean there's there's a few that you know that i could think of off the top of my head one in wisconsin one in pennsylvania one up in, in connecticut that all they do is tribute bands and nothing else because that's what sells in their market um you know like i said comedy does really well um you know, anything, anything really traditional or anything, you know, eclectic, you know, outside of the norm, it's not going to work for rock bands. It's not going to work for original rock bands. Mm -hmm. It's not going to work for metal bands or punk bands or, or anything else like that. But for, you know, artists that have a real broad appeal to all ages um, from, you know, teens up to the seventies do really can do really well. Um, especially if they have a specific uh, niche or type of show that they put on, you know, um, you know, a good example is actually one of my artists, um, three redneck tenors. It's exactly what they sound like. They're three redneck opera guys. Who, I think I saw them once. Yeah, who do a hundred PACs a year, you know, and do extremely well with those. You know, um, there's a you know, there are a lot of like throughout the South and Southeast, you know, what does great through uh, through that area is, you know, is bluegrass or, you know, or folk and traditional music um, or, or stuff like that. But yeah, for the most part, you know, rock artists don't do that great. You know, folk, even then it needs to be something, you know, not a solo artist with a guitar. It needs to be kind of something a bit different, you know. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I mean, for the most part, a lot of them can really get in there and get their foot in the door by going to the conferences, by performing, by, you know, having, you've got to have the person who is representing your band, whoever, if it's the front person of your band or whoever it is, or, or if it's a friend, doesn't have to be an agent, um, needs to be a type A um, personality, needs to be the kind of person that when they go to these conferences, they're out there shaking every hand and, and, getting to know everybody and really getting people to their, to their showcases. I have seen a lot of times where an artist will go and they'll stay in their hotel room until time to come showcase. Then their showcase is over and then they're done. They go home. All right. And they wonder why they get nothing out of it. 
And um, yeah. But but yeah, it is a world that is open to working with independent artists that are not represented. You know, unlike the club level at the same capacity level, meaning the larger clubs or you know the mid-sized ballrooms and venues, you know, um, that aren't really even going to talk to you unless you're you know they may be looking if you're in a local band they might put you on an opening spot, but um, you know they they rarely will book. Um, touring unknown touring unrepresented artists mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um where is there a list of of these uh conferences is there a w place where people can go if they're interested there is um well there is in the process <laughs> we'll say that um i'm in the process of actually building a, a site that's going to be launching here really soon called artist and fan and it is exact it is a completely free online database of every club, every promoter, every PAC, every festival, everything mm -hmm. in the world, worldwide, um, available to artists that's going to launch in March of next year. Um, there are paid sites that you can go to, um, like Polestar, Celebrity Access, or things like right. that, you know, that yeah. charge, you know, hundreds of dollars a, a month, you know, to, to go to. Then there are, there are other small ones, too, out there. But, um, but yeah, for the most part, a lot of times it's just a matter of looking up who your local arts organizations are in each, you know, if it's just, if we're just talking about the arts, looking up the arts councils in your city or, or in your surrounding area, in your region, um, because they're the ones who put on the shows at the theaters is it's the arts councils in each, in each market, unless they have somebody locally, you know, if, unless it's a place that's owned by the city, that's run by the city, um, that has, you know, a person from the city booking it. Um, most of it is through, through local arts councils and, and, uh, and organizations like that. Um, but it does take a little bit of work to Google it and, and stuff like that to find them. Um, but that's kind of why we're putting together this resource that we're putting together here. And uh, we've been working on it for about two years now, and it's kind of finally coming, to, coming together. Well, the, the colleges have always had it, the College Entertainment yeah. Network, and their showcases are... yeah you know, regional as well as national. And they work on the same principle. You try to block and you, um, you know, you you're develop your, your college market by playing the smaller colleges and then moving up and finally playing, um, you know, Arizona and so on and so forth. Yeah, NACA is great if you could get into it. Um, yeah. You know, it, it's, not, it's not cheap. It's, you know, it's not for everybody. You know, um, but, you know, I have several artists that I represent that I don't represent for colleges because they have a specific college agent, you know, and that uh, agent uh, takes them to all the NACA conventions. Right. You know, and it's it's a really good way for them to make enough money to warrant all the smaller paying shows that they do. Yeah. You know, um, it's right. a good, you know, they, they're really great anchor dates. And, and like I said, like, and, and for block booking and things like that, you know, mm -hmm. um, all those NACA type conventions, you know, have, uh, have the, the universities will get together and block book artists. All right. Well, um, is there anything else, um, Michael, about the PAC system, I guess, that you think people should know about? Have we covered any, everything or is there anything? That we I think we've covered just about everything. I think it's just a matter of, you know, really looking into it, you know, and, you know, letting people know that, I mean, it's not something to be afraid of. You don't have to be able to sell 500 tickets to play a 500 seat theater if you're the right artist. 
you know um right. that's what a lot of people don't understand that are that are kind of getting into it is you know they they don't understand that it's not hard ticket type situations they're not really in a lot of the cases in the subscription series type cases they're not the type of artist that has to be able to sell and has to show proof of being able to sell x amount of tickets because a lot of times they're going into these theaters and these venues where the tickets are already sold before the season even starts you know um and you know there's some where they will sell the season without even announcing who's playing you know and so but yeah it's you know it's just a matter of, it's just not being afraid to to take that step you know and and just go after it because it's a great market for you know i have i have artists that do pacs you know 100 dates in pacs a year and sell them all out but could not sell a single ticket in a hard ticket situation in a club mm -hmm. you know do any of those so PACs just, deal with middle agents for the most part not not so much I mean, yeah there there are some middle agents out there that that specifically specialize in pacs yeah you know there's there's actually a few out there that i that i know of that you know where they bring an offer from a pac to the actual agent for the artist yeah and they're they're quote middling that deal you know yeah all right. Well, with that in mind, we need to thank Michael for yeah. his second right. appearance on Music Biz 101 and more. A very good one. Yes. Album. Wow. Have we had any, how many, how many guests have we had that have done two? That have done two? Um, not a lot. Um, probably four or five. Very our, few, yeah. Yeah, of our close to 350 of these episodes. Oh. So, Michael, you're in very special. Yeah. You're very good special to be here. person. Yes. So, Michael, do you know what we say at the end of every show? Go Astros? <laughs> well, actually, if we said anything, it would be let's go Mets um, in, in the offseason. But um, actually, we don't say hello and we don't say go Astros. We say adios. Adios. Do you want to say adios? Adios. Adios. Thank you, Michael. Adios. Shake it, shake it, mama, mama. Shake it. Boxes, bonnets, girl, that's all I wanna see There's my cash to me There's my cash to me Hate to disappoint you, but at home I got a girl Friends, it's between the TV and the table in the kitchen It's where I wanna be It's where Just between you and I, if you decide to cancel plans on me, I don't give a damn. Did a thing, but cause my full refrigerator and TV have a day with me.
you like you 